0: Please pray with me. Father, I ask this morning that, that I myself, along with all those gathered here, can truly grasp how great your love is, your pursuing love, your relentless love, God, that we can be honest about that. God, that we cannot pretend anymore that we're beyond reach or that compassion is not for us, but it is for us. The question is whether we're going to say yes and fully respond or not. I pray, God, that if any of us have not responded this morning, we will. God, allow our hearts to be open to you and our minds to receive with understanding at your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Today is our third Sunday in the book of Hosea. So if you'd like to turn with me to Hosea 3, we're going to be in verses 1 through 3. In the book of Hosea... We find a very helpful illustration of the love of God, and why I say a very helpful illustration of the love of God is because you will hear oftentimes people talk about the love of God in very uh, exclamatory terms. Right? The love of God is amazing. The love of God is great. The love of God is cool. The love of God is awesome. Right? And I've, I've heard people talk in these ways, and, and a lot of those, when I hear those, they're like, isn't just God so neat? Isn't his love just so amazing? And, and that's correct. <laughs> and so you say, yes. But, but for me, I always want to know, like, what does that mean? Right? We live in an, a culture and a generation and age where, where words are often used in exaggerated terms. Case in point, the word epic. Because <laughs> if you've spent time in a high school recently, someone would be like, dude, aren't these tater tots epic? And you're like, no, they're like every other tater tot I've ever eaten. <laughs> like, no, these ones are epic today. And you're like, no. Epic would be like a tater tot the size of a car. <laughs> that is an epic tater tot. Okay? But, and so when we, when we speak about the... Are you with me? Or are you following? Okay. So when we speak about the love of God, and, and all the terms we use are like love of God's amazing, and we say, yes, but what does that mean? What does it mean that the love of God is amazing? So, the book of Hosea, literally what it's doing for us is illustrating before our eyes in a true historical story what exactly the love of God looks like, and that is helpful. Right? (laughs) That's helpful because I don't want you... (laughs) Or any of us to go throughout our lives just speaking in those exaggerated terms, pretending like that has definition or that makes sense. Because we can't hold on to that. Right? You're not going to be whole. Like, if you just go on without the love of God being amazing and knowing what that means, when a hard time comes and you're like, amazing, what does that mean? Right? What can I hold on to in that? And the book of Hosea is articulate. And it gives us something to hold on to, an illustration and a true illustration of what it means that God is love, like it says in 1 John. And so, as we've, as we've walked through Hosea, the first week was looking how real love, God's real love is a covenant love, and that was illustrated through Hosea, through Hosea marrying Hosea in a true marriage, a true marriage ceremony, a true covenant, marrying an unfaithful wife, Gomer. And what we talked about first in that was it wasn't just Hosea going, oh great, I'm the prophet chosen for this, but God going, I'm going to instill in you a love for Gomer. Gomer you are going to be affectionate. The word, every time the word love is used in these verses, affection is what it means, right? It's not, like, it's not like we can interpret it like, love means like, sure, we can be together, right? It's like, genuinely, God has instilled in Hosea an all-out, heart-throbbing affection for an unfaithful woman. And so when he marries her, he loves her. It's about a man loving a woman and being united in a covenant, committed relationship with her, for better or worse. The Bible absolutely blows out of the water. I was in a philosophy class once. I was in far too many philosophy classes once, but I was in one particular one once, where the teacher says, you know, our modern idea of love being affection is just a new idea created in, like, you know, late Middle Ages and, and literally, I go, have you read the Bible? I said that in class, right? I was like, Song of Solomon, ring a bell, right? I, I, because, and I, you guys think I'm joking, I was serious. I was like, you read this thing, and it is, it is full of, of affection, right? The, the cool thing about when we read the Bible, and I've told this to so many people lately, is the Bible's Constantly reminding us what true humanity is. It's not being like, you have to become gods, right? It's going like, no, you've, you've accepted so many lies in your life that you've actually forgotten what it means to be human because God made human beings to be made in his image. And he's, he's learning to restore that. And part of that is restoring your heart, right? And you see this desired uh, restoration in Hosea when he puts in Hosea a real love for an unfaithful woman and he and he affirms that love by covenanting with her in a bond of unity that, that is unbreakable. So that was week one. If you feel like you really missed out, you can podcast a sermon. Week two was that God, in his love, because Hosea followed out her unfaithful heart, and walked away, because Goma walked away from Hosea, Hosea goes, there is consequence for that, and that is rejection, right? There's a a time of rejection where there's not compromise. Love isn't compromise, right? Love isn't just going, oh, anything goes, it's okay, but there was a real rejection, and and thankfully, my dad preached that last week, and I didn't. That's hard. A lot of Hosea is hard. You read it, and you are like... I am extremely uncomfortable reading this. When I read the book of Hosea, and some of you might have done that as we've been going through this, page after page after page can only be described by the simple word pain. Right? When you read Hosea. But it is a true, uh, it is a true love, and when that rejection comes, it is a true pain because there is a true love there. Are you tracking with me? So, week three, we've come to, what does it look like after a real covenant's made and then a real rejection occurs? What's the next step in this love? And the real next step is a call for response. And so, the verse we've kind of used to describe this relationship week after week has been um, Hosea 6.4, where God simply says, what will I do with you your love is like the morning mist that appears and then vanishes. What will I do with you? In the first week, what will I do with you is I'm going to marry you, right? The second week, what will I do with you? Well, I'm going to, I'm going to let you experience the punishment and the rejection that comes from, from unfaithfulness. I'm not going to protect that. I'm going to allow you to experience that. And then the third week, what will I do with you? I will pursue you. That is the third week. And this pursuit comes in three forms, which we'll read um, here in chapter 3. I'm just going to outline that for you really quick. The first is a reminder of a promise. The first pursuit is a reminder of a promise. The second is in a show of compassion. The third is a a revelation of pure intention. Those probably sound like big concepts, we'll explain that. But first... I kind of wanted to find a good story for you guys to help illustrate this also. Would you guys like to hear a good wooing story? A good, like, that man loved that woman story? Okay, I I see Lindsay shaking her head yes, so we'll just go with it, okay? It's not not reading from my journals, don't worry. (coughs) They aren't that interesting. Okay, (laughs) so who has heard of Kim and Cricket Carpenter? Anyone here? Kim... Raise your hand. Susie, raise your hand. Okay, we got, a, we got a couple in here. Kim and Cricket Carpenter might be better known um, from the movie that, that wasn't an accurate representation of them called The Vow. Who's familiar with The Vow? Okay, maybe a couple more. It's okay, guys, if you raise your hand. It's fine. You can admit it. Okay, <laughs> Maybe you should just push your wife's hand up. I don't know. So the movie The Vow helped illustrate this, but I'll I'll record the true story because the true story is one of faith, right? Where these people made a a commitment to one another in the eyes of God and they kept that because of their faith. And you can read article after article online of, of them coming out and going like, we weren't really satisfied with the movie because what held us together was our faith in Jesus. Right? And so... Their story is they fell in love after having a a phone call. He was a coach of a college baseball team, and she helped sell uh, equipment, and he called her and made fun of her name because it was cricket, and she thought that was funny, and so they got along really well (laughs) and uh, and ended up falling in love. In a really short amount of time, they got married, and 10 weeks after... I'm just breezing over this first part, okay, because the good part comes later. Okay, 10 weeks after they were married they got in a vicious car accident. They were, they were rear-ended really hard, which made their, their car literally spin out of control for over 100 feet. And from this accident, um, both Kim, who's the husband, and then the, guy, the other guy in the car came out walking, right? But Cricket was in a coma for a couple days, and then she sustained brain damage where she literally lost memory for the last year of her life, which included their courtship and their marriage, right? That just excluded all of that. So when she woke up and they asked her, who are you married to? She, first of all, didn't remember who she was married to, that she was even married at all. But then the only names of men that she could remember, it says, were her gymnastic coach and old friends and a doctor, right? Right? That would hurt if you're a husband, okay? And, and this is all she could remember. She couldn't even remember that she lived in Las Vegas where they had made their home together. She thought she still lived in Phoenix where she lived before. And so this, this went on, and basically her, her initial personality and the, the character she was, which was just generous and compassionate and friendly, had turned into this kind of bitterness, right, where she was just kind of angry and ill-disposed, and at one point, she just, she got so upset because of the situation, she goes, and I'm just reading from our she just goes, why don't you just move back to Las Vegas, and his response literally was this, he says, because I love you, right, and so he pursued, this accident happened in 93, right, 1993, and it wasn't until 1996, and there was just story after story it wasn't until 96 that he, that he got down on his knee again and asked her if she would marry him a second time. And she said yes. Three years later. Right, that is amazing. And in that three years, she never regained her memory. And for the majority of that time, she just didn't enjoy him. It <laughs> There's a story that she went to a... Uh, her uh, counselor one day, trying to work through these memories, and she says, I missed that guy who was here. That guy, right? Her husband. <laughs> and, and so <laughs> she calls him, and he was so excited, and he's like, Hey, how are you doing? And this is literally the conversation. She says, Fine, I gotta go. Bye. <laughs> right? Like, this is what was going on in that time, and that was hard, but he pursued faithfully. And that is, that is beautiful, right? And so I just want you to, just to see and get, I, part of this, part of understanding this is for us to be vulnerable enough in our hearts to realize um, on every level, I think, the, just the deep emotion and discomfort and pain that's going on here, right? And the story of, of Kim and Cricket, it's like, it's beautiful and you see this, this rise out of three years of pain, but then we have to draw it back in Hosea. And, and in some ways, there's similarity, right? But in another way, there's not. Cricket couldn't... Um, she didn't decide to be unfaithful, right? But, but in Gomer's heart, there is a, um, a desire to be unfaithful for her, right? She's married to a husband, but she desires to be elsewhere, and the response that god brings is this in in chapter 2 verse 14 he says i will win her back once again right speaking through the power of god, i will win her back once again i will i will lead her into the desert and speak tenderly to her there right this is the heart of god and i want to emphasize this that it is not because she has shown any interest. It's not because she has shown any interest at all. This is pure. All we get to do is watch and cheer on a faithful spouse who is going, there is absolutely no sign of affection at all. There is only sign of rejection. Only sign of rejection here. That is, There is coldness. They're hanging out at the dinner table, and she's not talking to him right? And he is going, I will win her back. I will speak tenderly to her. That is powerful. That is a powerful example. And so let's read in, in chapter three and, and we'll, it will tell us the story of what goes on in making this happen. It says, the Lord said to me, Go show your love to your wife again, though she is loved by another and is an adulteress. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a lethic of barley. Then I told her, you are to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man, and I will live with you. So, what does the response of God looks like? What does the, the, the call of God look like in wooing her back to himself? And the first is a reminder of the promise. And you see this where he says, love her again. Go show your love to your wife again. And the first thing that is so amazing in this And the reminder of promise is that he calls her wife. (laughs) That he calls her his wife. This is amazing. Because think about this. It is not. Hosea, go put up with her. Right? That wouldn't probably make sense. Right? It's not. Hosea, go prove to her that she is an outcast and rejected. Go show her that she doesn't have a place because she's been unfaithful. It's not that. This is amazing, right? This is so cool because he's not speaking in the words of condemnation right now. He's speaking in the words of affirming the covenant promise he made. Go call her wife. Go show your love to your wife, and this is huge. Even when we look at it now, in, in the reference of what is a, how does a Christian respond to this, and, in Romans 8.1, and, and we've talked about this the last three days, who, those who went to the, the class. In Romans 8.1, it says, there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Right? For those who have been brought into covenant with Jesus, Right? he is calling us his bride. And he's not constantly going, every time something's wrong, he's not constantly going, oh, you screw up. And that's oftentimes the words we talk to ourselves in. But this is what he's going, he's going, he goes, go call, remind her that she is your wife. And that is huge. And then he says, and she is loved. He has loved her once before, and that love is real. And he wants that love to be made known again a true, pursuing love. Even though nothing has changed in her attitude and the the distance, the felt distance between them remains. He's calling her to remember the promise they made. Turn with me, if you got your Bibles, to Romans, or not Romans, to Hosea 11, 1 through 4. And, and I'm just going to show you the language with which he calls her back. In Romans eleven one through four it says, "When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. But the more I called Israel, the further they went from me. They sacrificed to baals and burned incense to images. It was I who taught Ephraim to walk, taking them by the arms, but they didn't realize it was I who healed them. I led them with cords of human kindness, with ties of love. I lifted the yoke from their neck and bent down to feed them. <laughs> that is beautiful." <laughs> When Israel was a child, I loved him. He's reminding them of how he pursued the first time. Remember how this relationship began. Remember when I called you what Israel was. Israel was a nobody in the desert, but I called them and I loved them. Remember how I cared for you at that time. He said, I led you with cords of human kindness. Remember that. Remember what it looked like. For for Hosea, it was probably like, Hosea, remember when, remember when I first took you out on a date? We had a good time, right? Remember, he was like, I didn't really have a lot to offer you, but my love at the time, and you didn't really have a lot to offer me, but we just went out because we, you know, we want to go to a movie. <laughs> right? And he's going, remember this. And, and that God is saying, remember when this started. Remember what that looked like. Remember when Israel was a child. I loved him. Do you remember that? Right, and this is, this is the powerful re-wooing of God. He already wooed her once, but he's wooing her again. And that is the amazing thing, right? What does it look like to start all over again? And just go, hey, can we fall in love again? And that's the offer that's being made here. In chapter 12, 9 and 10, He says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. I will make you live in tents again as in the days of your appointed feasts. I spoke to the prophets, gave them many visions, and told them parables. So he's going, remember that we have a history together. (laughs) Do you remember that this isn't just me going like, trust me. right? Because remember at the points that I have proven myself to you. So it's not just going... Oh, this love is amazing, undefined, but he's going, This is a defined love. Remember when you were a child and I loved you? Remember when I led you out of Egypt because I loved you and I wanted to rescue you? There is a history and a substance to this love that you can point to and say, Yes, he has loved and he has loved well, right? So it's not just this feeling that you have to rely upon of like, oh, I just don't feel like I'm greatly loved today. But you can look back and point at it and say, God has loved really well, <laughs> right? Just as Gomer can look back and say, Hosea has been faithful to me where no one else has been faithful to me. When Hosea was the first one that treated me like I could be faithful, even though I was not faithful. He was, Hosea was the first one who, who actually treated me like I was a human, and not just a piece of meat. That was Hosea. <laughs> and, and what the first point of wooing is doing when they do this is, is he's reminding her that that is the way his love is. Remember, it's, it's not just new. It has always been like that. And it is still faithful for you. Are you with me? A reminder of the promise. And there is, there is substance in that. Let the word love here have history. History. <laughs> And that is beautiful love, right? Just like, and, and I know you've, you, you're familiar with this, but it, just like if you speak with a couple that's been married for 30 you know, years, when they say, I love one another, it means a lot more than the newlyweds, right? Why? Because they have a history, right? When they say, I love, it means we've been through 30 good years, right? Hard years, real years, Days when we didn't talk to each other. Those days, right? But remember, there was faithfulness and there was story with that. And that that is the reminder of the promises. In all that, there has been a covenant. There was a covenant made and a covenant kept. And that's what Hosea is reminding his wife here. Are you with me? Okay, second point of God wooing and pursuing and loving and showing that through Hosea is showing her compassion. Um, and I'll be honest, I wrote this point before I had any idea what it meant. Um, and I was gonna go like a totally different route with it and I started reading it and I was like, wow, thank you for correcting me, Jesus, because I was gonna teach it wrong, <laughs> right? Um. Because I was challenged in this by the way it describes compassion. If you turn with me to eleven eight 8 through 11, it says, How can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I hand you over, O Israel? How can I treat you like Adma? How can I make you like Zeboim? My heart is changed within me, and all my compassion is aroused. Okay, we'll just stop with 8 there. Um, Then turn to chapter 13, verse 14. And it says, I will ransom them from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. Where, O death, are your plagues? Where, O grave, is your destruction? I will have no compassion. What's going on here, right? And then if you turn to 14... Verse 3, it says, Assyria cannot save them. We will not mount war horses. We will never again say, Our gods, to what our hands have made. For in you, fatherless, find compassion. And I I was like really stirred up by this. I go, how is it that they're like, Have compassion, no compassion, have compassion, right? What's going on here? And this is what the compassion of God means. Compassion is an opportunity for repentance and literally the definition here is I was, this was taken from a commentary and it just says it indicates compassion indicates the aroused emotion of God which prompts him to a different course of dealing with people to a different course of dealing with people emotion in the heart of God that leads to a different dealing with People. So how is it that in chapter 11, it can say, my heart is changed and all my compassion is aroused. In, verse, in chapter 13, he can say, I will have no compassion. And then in 14, it says, in you, the Father, find compassion. And this is the reason. Is that lo- God does long to be gracious to his people and allow the opportunity for them to repent and change but even though um, but it does not take away the result at times for the just punishment and the consequence of their unfaithfulness and that is what you see in chapter 11 And I I simply wrote here because what it's talking about in chapter 13, where he says, I will have no compassion, it says, because it looks like everything is going all right with you. It looks like everything's okay. This is a time in Israel's history where they're watching Jose and they're going, Jose, you don't make sense because we're doing fine. But he goes, I will have no compassion and I will bring you drought and dryness. But. even in that, where he says, I will have no compassion, what he means is I am not going, I'm not going to relent or change my mind from bringing you a time of dryness. And so it's using it in two different ways here, where one way he's saying, I'm not going to have compassion, but I'm not going to allow for your repentance to change the consequences I'm bringing. But the other two spots where it's using this compassion, he goes, but I will open a way for you to repent. And this is the powerful thing, is that I think this is what will help, is that God in his compassion is not God compromising. So when God is compassionate, he's not compromising and going, it's okay, there will be no consequences. His compassion is opening up an opportunity for people to repent and have true change in their lives. And I'd love to take this further, but I don't get to, because that's next week. <laughs> okay? <laughs> next week we talk about repentance, but we don't get to this week because just this is... Amazing, just because God provides compassion and longs for response doesn't mean that she will respond. And so God is providing every opportunity for her, for Israel to say yes and come back. And how he offers that through is he's going, see, (laughs) Your prosperity is empty, right? It comes, it goes, it comes, it goes. And so I'm not going to show compassion and relent from the, the just punishment and consequences from coming onto you, but, but I'm going to allow in my compassion, the opportunity, I'm going to show my love to you again and, and allow for you to repent and to change. And this is powerful. And the way it shows it here. Is God saying in Hosea 3 3, which we read at the beginning, where he says, But I told her, You are to live with me many days, and you are not to be a prostitute or be intimate with any man, but I will live with you. And what he's saying is, I'm going to offer you this, in my compassion, a space for repenting, but there's no compromise because you cannot prostitute yourself again. The compassion of God is not going, like we've said over and over again, he's not going, it's okay. It's okay. You can just keep being unfaithful. No, the compassion of God, the love of God is drawing us and allowing us to be in this place where we can make the decision to respond in love, in true love. And so he's going, I, I love you so much that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rescue you. But you can't go back to unfaithfulness. You can't. (laughs) My love is too strong. I just, I can't have that. So that's how he shows it here. So showing her compassion. So though she is loved by another and is bearing the consequences of that, he allows her an extension of this love that longs for her to repent and to come back. And I know this is kind of a hard point cuz we're like how how does this happen? And this is the tension we oftentimes find when we open the scripture we're like we want God just to go <laughs> you can sin you can do whatever you want but it's okay. But you open the scripture and he's going my compassion is opening an opportunity for you to repent and have true heart change. But will you? But will you? The opportunity is available. My compassion is there. I'm pursuing you with my love. I'm pursuing you with my love. But will you respond? So his compassion opens up an opportunity to repent. But will you repent? Because this is the beautiful thing about... I'm just going to keep going. Because this is the beautiful thing about about a reconciled relationship (laughs) Is, is that that the love is extended and the opportunity is for the, the person who is loved to come back and go, I love you too. And that's when you're like, glory, right? You're like, they love one another, yes! And that's in the movie, you're like, yeah! And you're like crying, and you're, not that I do that, I don't cry in movies, but, but you're, like, <laughs> <laughs> you're like, you're like, they both love each other. It's not just one loving. It's both loving each other. And that's beautiful. One loving isn't beautiful, right? It's beautiful in a certain extent, but when it really gets good is when the other one loves too. Does that make sense? You don't want it to just be hanging out here. The only one loving. That's and but this is the compassion of God. God is pursuing in love, but he is asking for real love in return. He's providing the opportunity for repentance. But will they love? Is it Will genuine affection be aroused in their heart? Because there is distance there. And you know you've felt this in your life at some point in a relationship you've been in. That there is a distance, a growing distance, and one party can be faithful and love, but will the other party respond? And God is having... Immense, immeasurable compassion going, I am am pursuing you. But will you genuinely love me in return? And that is the showing of his compassion. The third point is God's revelation of his pure intention. God's revelation of pure intention. Because we all know when someone is wooing someone else, that maybe intention is not always clear. So, this is really helpful. Like, like if you're a father, maybe someone's pursuing your daughter, right? You're going to think, what does this man want with my daughter? Right? So, what is God's intention here? And God's intention here is to redeem her. And so that's what he does. In verse 2, it says, So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a lethic of barley. God's intention is to redeem her. Redeem Israel. Hosea's intention to redeem Gomer is to restore her completely. And, and I would talk a lot more about restoration, but that's week 5. Okay. But this is why we talk about intention here, right? His intention in showing compassion is that she would repent. His intention in redeeming her is that she would be restored. And so he buys her back because she has become a slave and her life no longer is his, but it's also no longer hers. And this is amazing, right? It's no longer Gomer because she has prostituted herself and been indebted and is now a slave. She's no longer legally, even by marriage, she's no longer Hosea's. But she's no longer her own anymore. You get that? And that is just like us. When we have become separated from God by our sin, it's not that we no longer are serving another master, but is that we no longer even know how to, (laughs) we no longer even own ourselves. And so what Hosea does and what God does is he redeems her. So why don't I call this offering her redemption rather than a pure intention. And the reason for this is because God does buy back his bride, just as Hosea buys back Gomer. But just because he redeems her and gives her the opportunity for restoration doesn't mean that she will take the opportunity for for restoration She has been bought back, but will she stay? Because at this point, at this point in the story, get this, nothing indicates that she will. And that's the powerful part of God's pursuit, is that nothing at all has indicated that Israel or Gomer will be faithful. She has played no part in this. She has just been unfaithful. Israel has played no part in it. Israel has only been unfaithful. But God, in his compassion, is providing an opportunity for her to love again. Amen. And God's love is looking for a response. I've heard so many times... Said, true love doesn't look for a response, and that is a lie. True love longs for love to be returned, right? And God's love, God's compassionate love, longs for you to truly love Him in return. Real love longs for a response. But the hard thing here is that I have to leave the story incomplete. The hard part is I have to leave the story here. And I don't want to... We've talked about the next weeks, but, but this is the crazy thing, guys. This is the crazy thing, and we see it all the time, is that all we see right now is opportunity, right? Opportunity through compassion for repentance. Opportunity through redemption for restoration. But will Hosea, will Israel, will we say yes, will we love or will we be continually unfaithful? And the choice is there to remain unfaithful. God, in his love, in his compassionate love, in his compassion, which is emotional affection, right? And this is the crazy thing. The reason why God's heart is turned within him is he offering confection, is because con- uh, offering the compassion is because when he saw our unfaithfulness, he wasn't like, whatever, get out of here. He goes, my heart is turned within me and I love them. That is is God. God isn't the God that we create in our minds where he's constantly rejecting us. God is constantly giving compassion, offering the opportunity for us to repent and be restored. But will we take him up on that compassion? Because his compassion is providing the opportunity for faithfulness. But at this point, we do not know if there will be faithfulness in response. So in redemption is the ultimate revelation of God's good love and desire for his people to be restored. But will we say yes? And will we love him? So, church, an application, do you remember the promises of God? Do you remember the words He's spoken that have history to them? Because you'll hear people talk about the love of God that is amazing, that is good, that is incredible. But those words only have meaning because they have history. Because God has revealed Himself time and time again throughout history saying, I long to show compassion on my people, but my people have been unfaithful and are bearing the consequences of that unfaithfulness. I long to show myself in compassion. Do you remember the promises of God and his ultimate revelation of compassion in Jesus Christ and the promise that he's making to you that if you respond in love, that there is rejoicing over you. There is a wedding ceremony, another wedding ceremony. So will will you receive compassion, the space provided by this compassion, to repent? And will you walk in his intention to be restored? And we have the pleasure in the next weeks of seeing what that looks like in the life of Gomer and the life of Hosea. But I just kind of want to leave you with this incomplete story and just ask, will you? Because God has come with his love, and God has come with his compassion, and God has come to win you. But how are you going to respond? So as we take communion today, um, I'd ask you just to, uh, if you are a believer, to just ask yourself this question, do I remember the promises of God, and am I living in that? (laughs) the true covenant he's made with me of love and affection. And if you're not, if you haven't, you haven't been won by his love yet, I ask that you will just refrain from taking communion and pray. Lord, have you offered me that compassion? And have I just not taken an opportunity to say yes to it? And if you do say yes, I invite you to take communion because that is what it means, that Jesus has given himself, his very self, all of himself, to win a bride for himself who loves him with a mighty faithful affection. So pray with me, please. Oh God, I I just confess for myself and probably for most of us, but God, this, this love is a mighty mystery. It sounds so good, but maybe we have tried straddling one foot in compassion, and one foot outside. And, and God, I pray that you will just remind us today of your faithful love that's been proven throughout history and especially in an amazing way in the sacrifice of Jesus. And God, I pray by your grace, maybe some, maybe for the first time, we'll say yes to that today. And maybe us who have said yes will meet you with a full heart, saying, God, I, wanna, I don't want to be unfaithful. I just want to love you purely. God, we need your grace for even that. God, we love you. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name, amen.